Hi Samuel, hi Billikis, great to have you. Let's make them feel welcome again, it's so good. Second time we've, uh, we've talked about this, it's uh, so, so good to be with you this morning. Um, Samuel Billikis, both originally from Nigeria. Um, Billikis, you moved to work in the UK as an au pair, when, literally on your 19th birthday. Yes. Um, and then Samuel, you came over a little bit later, 2014, uh, after you got married. Um, you have four lovely children, two boys, two girls. Your oldest is six. Uh, but Billikis, you first. Um, just talk about a little bit about your home background. So both your parents were Muslim, so you were brought up in a Muslim environment. And at the age of five, you went to a Christian boarding school. Uh, but you'd grown up very much in a Muslim background. You had Islamic tuition in Arabic every day before you started school. And you said to me, it was really like living in two worlds, the Christian world at school and then the Muslim world at home. So what was it like living in the tension of those two very different worlds? So I went to boarding school at the age of five. It was actually certain. My mom got sick after she had the sixth child, so they took us to boarding school. And the boarding school was a Christian school. We would recite the Psalms. We would pray. Every child would pray. And that was my first experience of praying to God. I mean, God, Christianity, God. And then I would do that, but then during the holidays, I would go home to a Muslim home where I would be going to Arabic tuition where you learn Arabic basically every single day. And I was doing that before I went to boarding school anyway. So it was quite, it was two different things. It's like knowing two different gods. <laughs> so I had, you know, in boarding school, I wasn't, initially I didn't know what I was doing, but after a while, imitating what everyone was doing, I started knowing God more. I started developing relationship with God. I would think, I remember I would just stand and just think about, oh, what's happening? And just, I knew God was interested in my life, even as a young child. And then when I get home, it's another thing. So it was quite, it was very different. So, so give us a flavor of that home life. How did Islam shape and affect the culture and what you experienced at home? Um, it was... Knowing God as a Christian made me see the other side of of everything. Because in a Muslim household, like Muslims, they believe you could have, I mean, African Muslims, I'm not sure, <laughs> everywhere. They believe you could have more than one wife. So my father was engaged with other relationships outside the marriage. And you know, my mom wasn't happy with that, of course. There was a lot of tension in the house growing up. And um, that changed dramatically, you know, after my dad became Christian, which we're going to go into. So it was really different as a child, you know, being in a Christian, a Muslim home. But, but that, that, that Muslim flair was very strong in the home. So yes. how would that affect who came in and sort of the type of social so we would have, life of the church? We would have Imam come to the house to pray. My dad... I would sometimes I would go to the mosque with him as well. You know, I would go to the children's side. He would, so we would have you know f- Muslim festivals and that. My dad, he, he was a good father. He was a loving father. He loved us to bits. But as a Muslim father, he would go out a lot. He would do things that you know that was the father I knew then. 
um, engage with, like I said, relationships outside the marriage. So it was really different. It wasn't a fulfilled home. So you've grown up in two worlds, you know, boarding school as a young girl, which is Christian and then very much Muslim flavor at home. Now, your grandmother was a Christian. Yes. And uh, after boarding school, you went to live with her. Yes. And she took you to church for the first time. What was that like? What did you notice by contrast to your home life? I was going to church. Um, I just loved it. Because it was different. I didn't feel, even when I was going to the Arabic school, I hated it. I felt like something was forced on me to just learn Arabic for no reason. But going to church with my grandma, I just loved it. And I remember even that that as a child then, as a young child, now what the young people, our young people are saying, it really made sense to me. Because everything that happened to me as a child... That was similar to my experience. I started understanding who God is, how he loved me, developing friendship, how I would pray even as a young child, and he would answer that prayer, and how I would just think about how marvelous God is as a child. It was so funny thinking about it now, and I just loved him even as as that child, and that was different. That was completely different from what I was exposed to or what I experienced in a Muslim household. So for you, was was it a gradual thing coming to faith in Jesus or was there a, uh, a distinct moment where you committed yourself or both? How did, how did that happen for you? It was, very, it was very gradual, like starting from the boarding school where I would recite psalms and pray and then going to church with my grandma. It was sort of like a seed that is planted every single time. And eventually I came out, you know, in front of the church to give my life to Christ. But before then, I already decided I am following Christ. But it was a gradual relationship. It was a gradual friendship. And because I lived outside home, you know, I I left my parents when I was five years old to live elsewhere. I needed comfort of a father. And I think I felt that with developing relationship with God and even till now I mean everything that's happened to me as a child prepared me for what happened as an adult because I still I I never lived home so I left Nigeria when I was 19 to a completely different family so everything that's happened to me as a child that was God preparing for what is God for me in the future so yeah so so you 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 experience Christ and his presence and you commit to him and then you start to pray for your family, with your grandmother, because she's been praying. She taught you to pray all the time. And you go home from a holiday, one holiday, back to home, back back to with your parents. And uh, you get some news from one of your sisters. So what had changed? What had happened? So we would go home during the holidays, and then we went on this particular holiday. And my sisters, they were so excited. My house was very because we're a large family. So they were very, guess what happened? Daddy, God save, oh, daddy's now a Christian. The way they said it was like, oh, this is now a Christian. Like, so that was a shock to you? It was a shock to everybody, not just our immediate family, to everyone, to everyone, to my grandparents, my grandparents' friend. It was a big news. It was a massive news that my father got saved because no one thought in a million years that it, it was a devoted Muslim. So no one thought it would ever got saved. And, yeah. so, so what had happened, what was the thing that, that triggered your, this massive change 
for your dad, other than the fact that yeah. you and your grandmother have been praying so and family members. I was praying, my mum was praying, but then he told us himself, he, I, I asked him even recently, he told us himself, he had a dream about God speaking to him in the dream to say, um, you should go to a church. And then he, he woke up and he started looking for that church and he went to a church. That was the church he got saved in. And that was the church he continued to go until we moved outside um, Lagos. Yeah. So he has a dream. Yeah. God tells him to go to church. He goes to church. The first time he goes, yeah. he encounters Jesus. Yeah. So, I mean, this sounds really quite spectacular and, and, and dramatic. What was the change? I mean, you, your father was steeped in Islam. He, he mm-hmm. knew the imams. His whole social life and community yes. life were oriented around his identity as a Muslim. What, what changed in your dad's life? It was, the change was just, it was a lot of change, like dramatic change. Because he would, he was a loving father, but he would spend a lot of time outside of the house. So it was, the house felt peaceful. It was very, it was a happy home. He, there was no outside relationships outside my, you know, outside the marriage. My mom was happier, and even through all the tribulations it went through, he remained steadfast in his faith in God, and that grew not just my relationship, all of our relationship with him. And from him, I saw a man going from a Muslim to a Christian facing tribulation in, as a Christian for a lot of years. We were really poor and he would fast and pray on hand for like 40 days just believing in God to change his life. Me seeing that prepared me as an adult for whatever I have to face in life that God will never forsake me. So I learned a lot from my parents, from my dad especially, going from Muslim to Christian it, it, it was just a, it, it was, I've never seen such a thing. I have never, I know a lot of stories out there, but for me to experience it personally, it was, it was just mind blowing. It's amazing. So such a, such a, oh man, let's, we can applaud that. Such an amazing and instant yeah. transformation. So you moved to the UK at the, the age of, literally on your 19th birthday. Yes. And, uh, You'd wanted to go to university, but you weren't able to. You couldn't afford that. So you started doing some au pair work um, here. And then you're praying um, and, and fasting. You go and visit your sister. She's in the U.S., in the United States. And uh, while you're praying and fasting, you have a dream. And you're, you're committing your life to, uh, to the Lord and trying to seek him for your future and future relationships. So what happened in that time? So um, that's what my grandma and my dad taught me. When you want to seek something from God, you go into fasting and prayer. And I was accustomed to that. So I went into fasting and prayer, just believing in God. I dedicated myself to that moment. And during that fasting, during the period, I had a series of dreams. But by the end of that fasting and prayer, I, the last dream that I really remember was God telling me, okay, this is the answer to your question. So I had this dream about, um, like in a church setting, it, it was a church setting. I was walking and I was walking towards someone and there was someone next to me. Maybe it was all his real God. There was someone next to me and the person was like, no, that's not the person. And um I said, okay, so that's not the person. And the person pointed at someone, literally on this 
I kept pointing here. He said, that is the person. When I look at the person standing, the person was standing in a corner. It was very dark and sort of like a lonely, isolated person just standing in the corner to say, that is the person. So in the dream, I, did, I started walking towards that person. And that's the end of the dream. Yeah. So you knew that this person was, or you, you, you had faith that this person was going to become your future husband. Yeah. But at that moment of meeting, you were aware that they'd be in a very dark place. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So uh, we'll come back to your dream and the relevance of that. So, um, Samuel, over to you. You were the man in the dream, of course. You were, just to make that clear, um, you were brought up in a Christian environment. If actually it sounds ideal, your, your father had a leadership role, he had a yeah. prophetic ministry. Um, where were you with faith, and how did faith come in, in Jesus come into your life? Yeah, um, yes. Um, I mean, that, that I was my dad, is, um, general overseer in the church, a couple of churches in Nigeria. So he was, um, I went to university. There was a crusade, like a revival that was happening. And then I joined that revival. There was something that was said by the evangelist then about, about God, about how loving God is, about, about heaven. Then I realized that I, I, I didn't have that connection, although it was more like, you know, the, the father, God is like a judge. You know, that was what I knew as a, as a child then. It wasn't more like a personal relationship, like a friendship. Um, so it was really, so I started crying. I, I remember I was, I was crying that, you know, because um, back then it was they made me believe that if you lie you go to hell there's nothing like uh, you know saving you then it's you know you have to fast you have to you know but that was a changing point for me at that moment and then I I see God for the first time as someone who you can just talk to you don't really have to come can ask a, a pastor to pray for you or to confess to someone who's going to take your message to God and, you know, you get saved. But that, that, that was it for me, yeah. So that was a moment of transformation in terms of your, yeah. your perception of, of God's nature and, yeah. and character. Now, you met Billy Kiss through your brother. Um, yeah. Before we talk about how that happened, Billy Kiss mentioned that, that she'd seen person that she would marry in a very dark place so what was going on in your life just before that time how how dark was it what was happening yeah uh, it was it was a tough moment for me it was it was a moment where by I was doing a business in, in Nigeria I was into poultry and a dog breeding and then I had a couple of um, um, business shops and all that um, computers gaming and all that so everything happened within um, a month or so, um, I lost everything. Uh, thousands of beds died. Everything just happened. I lost everything. I I became nothing really. Uh, then I moved back to Lagos. You know, I had to sell everything off. So I moved back to Lagos to my to my mom's house. I was living in an apartment. I was going through a tough time. I and on top of that, I had a very toxic relationship which 
I got a daughter from who she will be joining us very soon. And then the uh, I was going through a lot of a lot of things. I was in a depression. I was at one point I was thinking of committing suicide. I was and Billy was right. God is actually great. When Billy said she uh, she had a dream and the, the person was actually. Um, standing or in a corner, I was at times at home in my sitting room. I would just I'll leave the TV on. I will be in the darkness and I would just sit there. I wasn't watching the TV. I was just gone. And I remember any time that I really want to take a step to harm myself, something miraculously, my mom would call me before I met Billy. We just I'm just checking on you. You okay? Can you just come out? You've been in that room for so long. She wasn't. She didn't know what I was going through. Although she knew that I was battling with having lost everything, and at that point, so I would just. It was. She was like saving me every single time I want to take a step forward into harming myself. But um, meeting Pidikis changed everything. I mean, literally changed everything. Now, this is an interesting story. So, Billikis, you feel that you've heard from God about Samuel. Samuel, how, how did God prompt you um, or alert you yeah. to what he was going to do in your marriage? Yeah, God is interesting. And he's, <laughs> yeah, he just he works in mysterious ways that you can't even fathom. You, there's no word for, to describe God. And then I remember I... Uh, there was a pastor prayed for me. I was going through that moment, and then so a pastor just prayed for me. I just needed someone to to save me, and the pastor prayed for me. And I remember it was he had a vision when he was praying that I was going to meet someone, a, a lady in the UK. She he described Billy Keys absolutely everything, but I didn't believe. I, I, I didn't believe at all. He said, I'm going to meet her. This is quite a few years before, is it? A few years. Yeah. That someone's going to introduce her to me. That was a few years before. And then I didn't believe that. I just take that as a word that, you know what, because I wasn't really, I didn't even care because I was, I, I just want to be left alone. However, I still need, there's something in me that is asking for help. So after a year gone past, I, there was another pastor who I met, so completely different, from completely the first different one. person yeah. in a different state in Nigeria. <laughs> so I just, I, it was uh, my mom's um, friend. So I took my mom, you know, to to her just to say hello. And then she 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 saw me. Said you're gonna meet someone, and she prayed. She described the same way the pastor previous one described Billikis every single thing about, and then she. And she said that we're going to meet, and, and I was like, this is now becoming real, that God is real. You can't just speak through two people that they never met each other. And then I remember for the first time when I spoke to Billy Keys on the phone, this wasn't love at first sight, it was love at first ear. First hearing. Hearing. Lovely, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was... I was I was just, I was, it, it, it felt like we've known each other. The, the God restored that peace, that happiness I've lost, that moment that I've been trapped in that darkness, that God was actually showing her that I was in a dark place. 
and it was even more than that when you had nothing to live for and then you just want to end it and then God just restored that happiness back so God actually used her to save me at that moment that's wonderful isn't God good isn't, yeah. it was nice of God just to forewarn you as well just, just, just to <laughs> let you know he was involved in yeah. it um, so you prayed you got married yeah. your word was spot on Sammy your word Billy Kiss was spot on um, what did you learn about God's goodness and mercy through coming together and, and getting married? Samuel, you first. Um, <laughs> everything about from life, about, about salvation, because I, I thought to myself, if I'd ended everything, then I, I won't be with her. I won't have the beautiful family I, I've got today. I won't be alive. In fact, you know, I remember on, on you know, yesterday I was coming from work, rushing down here because I don't want to come here and look like someone from a cave, a caveman. So I was, I go, I went to the, the to the salon then to have my hair cut, and then, and the guy told me, "I'm sorry, but you should have known the the process. You should have booked two weeks earlier. That's how busy we are. Business is booming right now." <laughs> and I said, "Oh." I think I'm just going to do this myself. So I went home, I had my hair cut myself, and, I, and while I was doing that in the, in the bathroom, God said to me, I've given you a second chance. You've got an option, and then that option, you won't be alive today. That, and I'm, and I'm going to say this to anyone who's actually trying to do something to harm themselves because of what they're going through. It's just a phase of trial. You will triumph. You, something beauty is out of that tunnel if you keep pushing further. And God is always really there to, to, to rescue us. And he rescued me at that point where I thought it was here. So, yeah, everything. God is everything to me. So really, God has done the most amazing rescue program for you for you yeah. um Bilikis, how about you what have you learned about god's goodness and uh, through, um, through your story and, and also your coming together with yeah, samuel i think i god is not just a lord it's not just is a friend he's my father like i am in love with this guy like i cannot do anything because oh when i think about how is actually plan my life without me knowing about it since I was a young child. A lot, I have a lot of reflection now about how, who I was as a child and how that has transpired into who I am now as an adult. That was God's intention. So he's planned every single thing even before I was born. He's planned everything for me. So I don't take any single step without consulting in God. Nothing without consult, if it's seen my life, it's seen how my whole life is going to play out. It's my father, he has a big plan for me. He loves me so much. He's, he's a friend when I didn't have my parents there as a, as a five-year-old. So it's, it's just amazing. So you mentioned, thank you, Bilikis. Samuel, back, back to you. you met, when you spoke about that, those dark times back home in, in, in Nigeria, it's as though the life and fire had drained out of you, you'd been beaten out of you. But actually, 
what God has done in restoring you is put some fire in you. And I'd like to ask you uh, a little bit about your work because you work with troubled teenagers, 16 to 18, they're in residential units, they've often... Uh, they've got mental health issues, they've been referred, they're taken away from their parents. And you explain that you actually are very, very clear about your faith. Yeah. So I, I, what I'd like to do is two things. First of all, just give us a story about how you shared your faith and, uh, and the effect of that yeah. in, the, in this residential setting where you, you help these, these troubled 16 to 18-year-olds. And secondly, tell us, how do you get away with it? Because our culture in the UK is such that you're not meant to share your faith. So uh, just explain how God's used you and how on earth you get away with this. Yeah, I, yeah, I think um, having gone through what I've gone through and then the life, the new me and what God has done for me, I think he really pulled that strong desire in trying to make changes in or speaking to young people who are on the path of destruction. And I, I, work, I work as a care manager for, um, with young people with um, mental health, challenging behavior, county uh, uh, lines and gangs and drugs as well. And then... Um, so this is probably some of the most challenging... Very challenging. challenging. ...young people. Can you give us a, a flavor of what that could be like... Uh, and and how you respond to that, particularly the, the young sixteen-year-old man that yeah really didn't like you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's a good word to put it. Yeah, um, there was a um, there was a day I was I was asked to cover a shift, and I went there to cover a shift. It was more like a, a trouble was waiting for me there, and then uh, this young man was smoking cannabis in the in the. In the um, in that house in that home, and I was, you know, meant to do something about it. Basically, call the police. So I called the police. They told me straight away, "You there, and you're getting paid for it. You should deal with it." Uh, so I guess there's no <laughs> any police officer here. So, so um, basically, I had to open the door just to let the fresh air. The boy was just coming for me, swearing and all of that, you think you're the chairman, and he was just seeing all sorts of things. So he actually locked me outside at 11.30. I wanted to... Um, you're locked outside the unit. I was locked unit, outside the unit. And you're meant to be managing it. I was it. M- yeah. meant to be managing That's bad news. So he pushed me yeah. out and locked the, and locked the door. Yeah. That was 2015, so I was just, just standing there. Really You've yeah. only been here for a year in no, the UK. Just a, bit, yeah. a, a year. So he locked me out. One of... The young people came down and was like, can't do this to this guy. So he opened the door for me. I came in. He was swearing at me, you know, you can't tell us what to do. So the following morning, after I've done the incident report, I was handing over to my manager then. And then he just walked straight down from his room, straight down to me, pushed me against the wall, then keep headbutting me, trying to lay. I was just so calm, put my hands behind my back. Because I was, I had a bit of a training in Nigeria where I was working with. Um, he's assaulting YMCA. you and headbutting you. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was. It was really. T- it was really intense. And then my manager had to call the police. The police came. They saw the CCTV. They were so really upset. They they took him and they, they took him to the station. So they had to move me from that unit back to my unit where I was managing. 
So back to the unit where you were permanently yeah. managing. Yeah. And then this boy is referred to he your was unit. Referred to my unit. Actually, they consulted me. They told me that we had no place to put this young man. We can't bring him b- back there. But can, I said, come on. I, I really want to speak to him. That they should bring me. They said, Sam, are you sure? I said, yeah. They should bring. So they brought him to me. As soon as he saw me, he apologized to me. I said, he said to me that I'm, I'm really, really sorry for laying my hand I, on you. I shouldn't have done that. But I'm really, really sorry. I said, it's just one of those things. You just you didn't know. Maybe the drugs just took the wrong turn on you or so. Then I started speaking to him. I said, there's something I really want to speak to you about. And I believe that what happened that day is it, 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 meant to happen. And I really want to speak to you. I've been meaning to speak to you. He said, go on, because I really want to listen to you as well. I don't know how you're so calm that day. I said, yeah, because God made me calm. I, it wasn't a training. I could have actually, you know, responded to your behavior, but I, I, I didn't. But then I spoke to him about God. But before I did that, I consulted his mom, and his mom was like, you know what? So you asked his mom permission, permission for you to share first. about God with this young man? Yes, with that's son. correct. Okay. So I spoke to him about God, and yeah. then... He was like, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm ready, I'm, I'm ready. It was more like, it wasn't me talking to him, because he would have said to me, yeah, I've apologized, you know, whatever you want to say, you know, walk away. Then I spoke to him about God. I said, listen, I know you, you, God has something in store for you. You can actually change, and I know there's so much potential in you. So I had my Bible with me, because I, I take my Bible to, 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 to work. I had my Bible with me, then I... I I gave him, I said, do you really want to read the Bible? Just read it. If you don't like it, you give it back to me. Then he took the Bible. He said, yeah, I'm just going to give it a shot. Then he read the Bible. The following day, he came to me. He said, now I see why you were so calm. That everything there is so, you know, it talks about me and how I can actually get out of this addiction and all that. So we started, I started speaking to him every single day. And there's one thing that happened. On that day, there was a like paranoia event that happened at a, uh, around 12 o'clock. So we had about seven young people in the house. They all rushed down. The, 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 the office is downstairs. They rushed down to the office. They banged on my door. I was like, what's, what's going on? I said, don't you hear? Something is moving around in this house. The cop moved. And every single one of them actually testified that something were moving. So I said, you guys just, you know. I said, you're going to call the police? I say you'd be crazy if we call the police for so that. So they, they were experiencing something of the paranormal, and yeah. they come to you and ask you to intervene. That's correct. And what did this, the 16-year-old, the, the, the one that had assaulted you, where was he in all this? He was actually there. He asked them that, you know, speak to someone, let him pray. He can actually, yeah, let him pray. And I said, okay, if that's, we had about four other young people who were Muslim. They were like, okay, we just want this to stop. Just do something. So we pray. I said, let's pray. Let's just say a few prayers. And they said something to me. They said to me that although this young man who I had an issue with, they always tell them about Samuel's belief and uh, why he's tired reading Bible, why he's not joining them, smoking cannabis and doing drugs. He said, now we know for ourselves. It felt like something just come upon them. And they they felt really, really safe. And they felt really curried that we can actually, what have you, the first thing they said to me, what have you done to us? 
And I said to them, I haven't done anything. That was anything. after praying, you mean? After, the, after yeah. praying. Yeah. I said, because they feel really confident. Say, there's nothing. Let them come. Let the whatever ghost come. We're going to smash them up. We feel really we can go to bed right now. So, and the, the 16-year-old, his life was completely was changed. was completely changed. I remember when he was leaving, moving from the unit to, I think, maybe back to his mom. And then I remember he, he was treating his Bible he looked at me after they moved his belongings in the, in the van, and he looked at me. He was holding his Bible, and he looked at me and said, you've, you don't really know what you've done to me. You've changed my life. He gave me a hug, which wasn't allowed. but <laughs> Yeah, and he gave me a hug. I said, you don't really know what you've done to me. You've changed my life completely. Thank you. Can you just... So Thank that, God. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? I'd just like to finish with this but how do you get away with it because you know the concern i think for a lot of christians is we is sharing faith at work is potentially a way you get fired from work so what is your what's your secret weapon here other than the lord actually actually you don't you shouldn't i should not be speaking to um someone about my faith and my belief at work but i I won't say I'm brave, but I, I think what I've, been, what I've been through in life and the encounter I've had with God and what God has, I can't keep quiet within myself when I see lives of young people going down the drain. And I, and I happens to, I'm privileged enough to have the antidotes, the, 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 what it can actually transform their life. Um, I remember attending an interview and they were talking to me about these, about their procedures. And I mentioned one thing. and I said to them, you need me. So if you need me, I will have to, the clause in your um, policy and procedure, I'm sorry, I can't really obey by that because I'm going to speak to these young people about my faith, about Jesus Christ. I will. You want, you want to hire me? Fine. If you don't, I, I have to because that's just my calling. And then they just let me be, like, you know, do your thing. Yeah, do your thing. No problem. <laughs> Sounds like you really are doing your thing and it's going really well. So from a place of darkness to a place of openness about Jesus. It really is a remarkable story. Can we thank Samuel and Billy for sharing with us? Thank God.